Throughout classic literature and beloved films, stories of adoption and foster care follow a similar theme. A troubled or abandoned youth rescued by a heroic figure. Annie by Daddy Warbucks. Roger and the Anaheim Angels coach. Anne of Green Gables. Peter Parker and his Aunt May. And for many, adoption is a saving grace. A light of hope to a damaging alternative. But the reality is often more complex than that. It's a difficult, often messy process with hurdles to overcome and traumatic struggles to navigate. And it's okay to talk about that. Today on Detroit Stories, we share a perspective on adoption you might not get from the movies. The perspective of real people, the caseworkers, adoptive parents, and adult children of adoption who've been through the struggles. It's not all rosy, but it is all real. A warning, this story involves details that may be upsetting to some listeners. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. Find all episodes at DetroitCatholic.com or subscribe to Detroit Stories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts. This episode of Detroit Stories is brought to you by our friends at Alliance Catholic Credit Union. For over 60 years, Alliance Catholic Credit Union has provided Catholics in Michigan with trusted financial services inspired by Catholic values. When you join Alliance Catholic Credit Union, you become a member of a financial institution that supports Catholic education, Catholic charities, and Catholic parishes around the state. Visit AllianceCatholic.com and join online today. Part 1. Unlike the heartrending handoff of Cosette to Jean Valjean and Les Miserables, or Miss Honey's seamless adoption paper signing in Matilda, adoption is an incredibly time-intensive, rigorous process. It's a long process, five to nine months on average, where there are classes, house tours, costs, and for many, all the emotional tolls that come with anticipation. For the parents who are up to the task, however, Christy Harden and Jennifer Anderson are there to help. Um, I'm Christy Harden, uh, Director of Child Welfare for Catholic Charities of Southeast Michigan. And I um, oversee the day-to-days in more of a programmatic um, billing, uh, finances, uh, policies, procedures, things like that um, for day-to-day for foster care, adoption, and then we have independent living. I'm Jennifer Anderson. I am the program manager of Child Welfare for Catholic Charities of Southeast Michigan, and um, I pretty much run the day-to-day of the programs. And so, um, managing both the, or all three, foster care, adoption, licensing, and ensuring that the cases that we have are being serviced appropriately. At the time of this interview, they are managing 47 foster care cases, eight independent living cases, or emancipated youth, and 29 adoption cases for Southeast Michigan. And these are pretty typical numbers for any given year. There are approximately 14,000 children in foster care in Michigan. And last year, 1,650 children were adopted from the child welfare system. For parents interested in adopting a foster child, there's a long process they go through. A child goes into the foster care system after parental rights get terminated. There is a time spent working on a reunification plan, but if it fails, the child becomes available for adoption. And that's when they get referred to CCSEM, 
Here's Jennifer. With the families, uh, we provide um, an orientation uh, explaining the adoption process. We do a walkthrough of their home to make sure that the home is suitable for a child to be adopted in there. Um, we do social history, which entails background information, their childhoods, their relationships, um, their medical history, finances, criminal background checks are completed. Um, we go over adoption assistance, which is a financial stipend that a child, depending on their age and certain criteria, if they meet it, they'd be eligible to receive that up until the child's 18th birthday. Um, there's medical subsidy, which a child could be eligible for as well if they have medical conditions. We explain the consent process. So all children that are available in the state of Michigan um, are under a, a I guess a guardianship, so to say, for um, under the, the MCI, so that's the Michigan Children's Institute superintendent. And in order for us to complete an adoption, we have to get permission from the superintendent to um, allow the child to be adopted by the family that we are recommending. So consent needs to be requested from MCI. Um, and then once we get an, a family assessment completed, the child's assessment completed, adoption assistance and medical subsidy in place, consent from MCI, we're able to process legal paperwork. And so that would include petitioning the courts um, for the child's adoption, requesting new birth certificates. Um, and then that is submitted to the county in which the family lives in. And um, once that petition packet is accepted, then we will get issued um, orders terminating parental rights, which is the state's rights to the child, and an order placing the child in an adoptive home, and we'll get an order of adoption finalizing that child's adoption. So in a nutshell, that is, that's pretty much the, <laughs> yeah. the process for adoption. It's a lot of red tape, but Christy and Jennifer fight to keep the well-being of the child as their most important priority in the midst of what can seem like a detached bureaucratic process. Once we get the referral um, for the child, we would write what's called a child adoption assessment. And that is basically um, background information on the child, why, why the child came into care, information about their birth parents, information about their siblings, information about their behaviors, their emotional status, mental health. Um, we ask kids if they're old enough to understand the question and old enough to answer, what type of family, adoptive family they're looking for, get a little bit of input from them, and then make a recommendation on what type of family would be best um, served for this child. For the parents looking to adopt a foster child, Christy and Jennifer work to ensure they are as equipped as possible to face the emotional and psychological fallout that children inevitably experience from being removed from their birth parent or parents. All parents must attend a GROW training session which takes anywhere from 20 to 25 hours. GROW stands for Grow Culturally Responsive Relationships, Recognize Children's Developmental Needs and the Impact of Trauma, Obtain Information and Resources, and Work in Partnership with Families to Support Healthy Relationships. For direct consent adoption, which are adoptions where birth parents voluntarily place their child in adoption and choose their adoptive families, there are currently more families in the state of Michigan seeking to adopt than there are children. But for the foster care system, it's a stark opposite. In the state of Michigan, there are about 14,000 children in foster care, 
Around 3,000 of those become legally free for adoption each year, and on average, there's around 300 children without identified families. Christy attributes these numbers to the misconceptions surrounding foster care adoption. One of the biggest fears that we hear is um, people, people that are coming forward don't want to do the foster care process. Um, they just want to do the adoption process and they're, you know, fearful of a child being taken from their home, that the child will get returned home, that they'll be bonded with that child and, and reunification will occur. Um, so I think that's one, one barrier that we see in, in coming forward. Another common misconception they face is what adoption costs. While domestic adoptions can cost anywhere from ten to $30,000, foster care adoption is much less expensive. Here's Jennifer. Typically, the average cost in the state of Michigan for an adoption would be anywhere between $235 to $266. And depending on if a child is eligible for what's called non-reoccurring expenses, that money is um, reimbursed to the adoptive parent. So that the cost for adopting a child out of foster care is really you're just paying the legal fees for the court and asking um, the state of Michigan to create a new birth certificate. And those are the only fees that you would have to pay. But by far, the biggest hesitancy Christine and Jennifer see in parents considering adoption is the question of what it will be like to handle a child who has experienced what is likely an inherently traumatic upbringing. We do have children that have um, mental health issues, behavioral issues that sometimes um, lead to it lead to some difficulty in finding an identified family for them because there are some families that just don't have enough of the training or experience to deal with some of the, the mental health issues or behaviors that the child is displaying. But for the parents who feel called to build a family through foster care adoption, CCSEM will move heaven and earth to equip them with the tools they need. There are always kids that need safe, loving, and stable placements. And if there are people out there that are willing to open their homes and hearts, we are willing to work with you and assess you to, you know, make a connection and have a safe, stable home for, for a child. You never get enough adoptive parents for some of these kids. Uh, we, we hate to see them just sitting and waiting um, for adoptive families. We have some kids that really do want to be adopted, and um, we just don't have enough families out there. So. If you have it in your heart to, to help a child in need, we certainly would love to have you come to see us and, and we can help you know, uh, create a family for, for you and, and the child. Part two. Holly Flickinger and her husband, Tom, always knew they wanted to adopt. When I was younger, 10 or 11, I'm not sure how old I was, but when I was younger, my aunt adopted a little girl, um, my cousin, Anna, and that whole experience to me as a child was, I guess, for, for foundational for me. I, it was, I thought it was a magical way to get a cousin at the time. And it was amazing to see my aunt become a mother. And I decided then that I was going to adopt. Before the Flickinders married in 2013, the couple discussed their vision for building a family together. Tom also had friends and family who had adopted. And as a couple, they decided it was a path they wanted to pursue. So we went into marriage knowing that this was something we were going to look into sooner or later and um, ended up coming along a lot sooner than I think either of us had anticipated. We started looking into adoption. Well, I guess I should start with 
the ending of the story, which is um, we were married in 2013 and we adopted our son, Gabriel, in 2015 was when he came home and the adoption was finalized in 2016, right when he was around two years old. So he is seven and a half now. I'm not allowed to say he's seven. He's seven and a half. Um, and then more recently, we brought our daughter home um, five days after she was born in January of 2021, and that her adoption was finalized at the end of the year in December of 2021. So yeah, it's the four of us now, um, plus a puppy, and this is everything that I wanted when I set out building a family. Holly and Tom adopted Gabriel through the foster system, and they still keep in touch with his foster mother, whom they affectionately call Aunt Peggy. With Gabriel, we started very early, just he was a toddler, and we would just tell him that we adopted him, and that means that we chose him, and that means that we wanted to be his parents, and that we get to love him forever. And that was kind of the entry-level explanation that we we did with him. While the couple's daughter, Grace, is still an infant, the Flickingers make a point to say the same things around her. The goal is that for both of them, they'll, they won't have, to, we won't have to sit them down one day and say, look, we have this big thing, capital B, capital P, to tell you about. And, you know, rock their world with this revelation that they are different, like you said. Instead, it's just, it's always hopefully going to be part of their world that, we love them. While they feel blessed to be Gabriel and Grace's parents, Holly knows that in every adoption, there's trauma, no matter the age. Even if a child is adopted at birth, they, they'll remember how their birth mom sounds, how their birth mom smells, how their birth mom felt, and then they lose that. And so <clears throat> during those first few days, weeks, and months, they're working through that loss as an infant can. And then even when they grow up and they don't have memories of that time, new trauma is going to form when they start learning about and coming to terms with what adoption means. At seven years old, Gabriel hasn't reached an age yet where he's asking deep questions. But Holly knows that day will come. In the meantime, her goal is simple. Let the children know that no matter what, they are deeply and totally loved. Even for somebody like me who, you know, I, the adoption was always my goal and both of my adoptions are a dream come true. In an ideal world, every child is born into a loving and safe and caring family that that values them for the individuals that they are and is equipped to take care of them. You know, so many kids end up... Um, in, adoption, in the adoption world, not because they weren't wanted, but because their birth families couldn't care for them. They were very loved. They were very wanted, but they just, they, who, for whatever reason, mom and dad, mom or dad couldn't take care of them. In an ideal world, Holly admits, adoption wouldn't exist. But then God has a way of making the broken beautiful. Adoption can really be a beautiful thing if if it, it's, it's a beautiful answer to a broken world, right? We talked about the ideal world, there would be no adoption because all children would be born into homes that loved them and had the ability to care for them. 
And we unfortunately don't live in an ideal world. And adoption, when it's approached from an educated and prepared mindset, can be a beautiful response to this need that we have in society to care for these children. So while it's here, let's celebrate it because these children are worth that. You know, they, their stories are beautiful and hard and all of those things together. Part three. But not everyone has a family like the Flickingers. Emmy DeShotel has a complicated view of her own adoption. I view my adoption as very nuanced. Unlike the rosy images Emmy says she sees depicted on brochures and commercials, her adoption experience wasn't one she would categorize as joy-filled or healing. That's not to say that adoption can't be a positive experience. I've mostly focused on a lot of the negatives here, but that's just because that's been my experience. It doesn't have to be negative. 27-year-old Emmy works as a freelance writer in Ypsilanti, where she is a parishioner at St. John the Baptist. A lot of her freelance writing is on mental health, surviving suicide, and processing the trauma of being an adult child of a difficult adoption. She calls herself an advocate and hopes that her writing helps people who've been in her position. Well, my adoption story really begins at my conception. I think a lot of adopted people's stories do. Um, When my biological mother was 13, she was raped by her stepbrother. And when she was 14, she gave birth to me. She ended up keeping me um, and tried to raise me as her own. But three and a half years in, it just became obvious that it wasn't going to happen. She was a child trying to, trying to raise a child. And, um, you know, she was, her, her trauma just prevented her from doing so much. So I ended up being adopted by my great aunt and uncle. At three and a half, she was moved from Bay City, Michigan to Louisiana to live with her aunt and uncle. In the beginning, it was an open adoption. Open adoptions keep modes of communication open between the birth parents and adoptive parents and child. This means periodic pictures, letters, phone calls, emails, and even visits can occur between the birth and adoptive parents and the child. And for a while, this arrangement worked. But once it became clear that me being in contact with my biological mother was causing behavioral issues with me, we had to sever the connection and um, move forward as if it was a closed adoption. Communication between Emmy and her mom was cut off. A bewildering experience for Emmy at that age. So it's really hard to forget that kind of thing whenever you're adopted at three and a half. I wouldn't really say I had an understanding of what adoption was. Um, I, I guess... The understanding that I had would be that I was adopted because my birth mom couldn't take care of me. And that was, that was it. Emmy remembers her adoptive parents explaining very little to her about why everything in her life was changing. You know, my mom would say things like, oh, I believe that God saved you for me or saved me for you and stuff like that. But there wasn't any productive conversation about adoption and you know, the intricacies that are involved. I think partly because it's painful to talk about that as someone who is an adopted parent. Um, And it's just, there's only so much that a kid will understand. But one thing Emmy didn't need help understanding was that she was a clear outlier, a newly adopted sister to three older natural born brothers. There was 
definitely a separation between myself and my brothers and my family. You know, it, it was, you know, my mom would always say, like, you know, the love I have for you is more special because I chose you. But, you know, that, that doesn't, that's not really helpful. It definitely creates a disconnect. Um, I, I would say that there, any, any adopted child who grows up in that kind of climate is, you know, they grow up feeling different. And, you know, there's, there's, I remember when I was younger, I was upset because I had green eyes, but everyone else in my family had blue eyes. And it was just one more thing that separated me from them. And like, that, that's, that's pretty significant. And it's such a small thing. For Emmy, this has fueled her passion for her writing and fed her perspective about adoption. As someone who suffers PTSD and mental illness, she wishes her adoptive parents had understood the gravity and trauma involved in an adoption like hers. It is for anyone. Because, like, I couldn't stay in that situation that I was in. And, you know, I didn't exactly have a positive after-adoption experience either because my, my adoptive family was very invalidating and they didn't support they didn't support me dealing with like all the mental health stuff that comes with adoption and comes with neglect and everything you know I was expected to be grateful you know I was constantly told you should be grateful that we saved you like those are verbatim words that I have been told there's a lot of things that come with being in touch with two different families you know having Two moms is, is absolutely mind-boggling. I'm sure that's why I had so many problems with it as a kid and why it resulted in behavioral issues. Today, Emmy doesn't have a relationship with her adopted parents. She is Facebook friends with her birth mother, but also maintains minimal contact. Right now, she's focused on helping Emmy, on tending to the trauma that was ignored, and healing her pain. You know, I constantly write about my own mental health, and I... I'm hoping to, I'm working on a book right now to bring light to the various intricacies that come with being an adopted child and even like an adopted adult. Um, you know, my, my goal is awareness. You know, that's not to say that adoption can't be a positive experience. And I think by mitigating some of these, some of the symptoms that come with adoption or symptoms of adoption, you know, we can make adoption a more positive experience for people in the future. Part four. Even when a kid is removed as a small, small child, it's a very traumatic thing for them. This is David Center, engineer, husband. He and his wife, Esther, have been praying for their children before they even got married in 2012. It was something they both deeply wanted. That wasn't really materializing for us to conceive on our own. Um, and we tried, um, Following up with different Catholic practitioners and having some, you know, like church-approved surgical procedures and, and um, different uh, treatments to help boost fertility uh, that that weren't really working. After several years of trying to conceive, they started thinking about foster care. So we signed up for the certification for that. It, it took a, a pretty substantially long time um, to take the trainings and get the house ready. Uh, have the inspections done, et cetera. So your house is certified, your finances are checked, you get a background check. There's in-person interviews. They check how hot the water is in your house. 
Um, they, you have to have an exit plan for with a map for every room of your house. You have to get um, uh, fingerprinted multiple times. So, so all that process we had followed for foster care, and, and then we sort of, while we still had our daughter after her parents' rights were terminated, followed through the same process again with a different agency, but but effectively the same content. But then. After all of that, they were able to take a placement. Their daughter, who we'll call Adrian, was medically fragile. She was born at University of Michigan Hospital, where she had to undergo a few surgeries before they could even meet her. When they met her, at two months old, she only weighed three and a half pounds. Um, and we brought her home after a few days uh, and were able to, through the process of foster care, um, when her parents' rights were terminated, uh, adopt her. Not long after bringing Adrian home, Esther conceived with their second daughter. Adrian is now six, and her sister is five. But for everything Emmy's parents neglected to broach, David and Esther try to face head-on and maintain sensitivity for. She doesn't, um, her, her interaction with reality and understanding of herself uh, isn't as linear as the development of our other kids. Um, so she doesn't, uh, like her five-year-old sister very directly processes that type of thing out loud. Oh, why, you know, what happened to her mommy? Was she in her mommy's tummy? Those types of questions. Um, you know, were you there when she was born? My, my oldest daughter doesn't ask those questions um, just because of who she is and where she's at uh, developmentally. She's in first grade. David and Esther have been sure to be cautious about what their daughter can handle, at what pace, and with what information. This is Esther. Um, because she just, it would, I, she'd get overwhelmed. And she doesn't want too much emphasis put on how her story is different. She just wants to be like mm -hmm. her brothers and sisters, which is the challenge of having biological children and an adopted child. This includes the challenge of having a biracial child. She's biracial, which also causes an additional um, yeah. layer. Um, you know, I, I mean, we had never planned, we didn't expect to have biological children, so we always planned to have other brown babies. Um, but this is what God, the path God chose. And so it, it's a big struggle to help her um, and help her acknowledge, like, um, her differentness doesn't make her less and that you know, so um, it, it's a, it's lately, it wasn't a big thing for a long time, but now it's, I would say daily, if not just maybe weekly discussions, um, especially since she doesn't bring stuff up. So I have to like notice the subtle cues and train the other children to talk, you know, a certain way. Um, yeah, it's, it's a big deal right now, actually, just uh, the part, the, the, the age she is being six. She start, you know, just the awareness. So, um, you know, they give you a lot of tips. So, for instance, we live in a very um, diverse neighborhood. She goes to a diverse school. And we, we are lucky we are in a diverse parish. So um, making those choices helps. But um, it will, it's something she'll always struggle with, probably. The knowledge of the potential trauma Adrian has experienced, far from a topic to avoid, is one that David and Esther broach frequently and delicately. I mean, one of the big things we do is just, like, I focus on the fact that all of us have differences. Like, 
there's ways she's more like me than, you know, her, my, you know, her sister is. There, you know, there's, I mean, she still grew up in our environment, you know, so she's influenced by my personality for better or for worse. Um, so I sometimes will po point out where, how we're alike, um, but then also really enforcing um, around us, like if I see a beautiful um, brown woman in the media, or like if she's if she catches me on Instagram, I'll point out, you know, um, the beauty of brown people and, you know, her skin, um, uh, you know, um, and then, yeah, as I said, just pointing out like we're like everybody in our family is different in other in some ways, you know. For the families that are considering adoption, David and Esther's advice is not so different than Emmy's. People who are supporting adoption, rightfully so, try and paint it with a positive picture to try and get more people to do it. But inherently, it's a challenging process with people that lose. It's not a win-win ever. Yeah, yeah, it's never a win-win. It's always compromised because a kid is being taken away from their family who also is broken, and then the kid is negatively impacted by that removal. And then the family has a challenge related to trying to integrate, Yeah. Uh, you know, somebody with different different uh, origin. Um, so yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean, we live across the field from another family who's been doing this and has had a very different experience, but it's been extremely challenging. But also, as David always tells me, and it's true, this is the most humbling thing he's ever done. And, you know, like every day I'm like, oh, I hope I didn't mess her up today. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I'll have to try harder tomorrow. <laughs> so, I mean, every parenting... All parenting is like that, but this maybe has an extra layer of just, you have to be conscious of the trauma, even if you got them right away. I mean, and it's certainly going to come from a place of faith. Being called to have a family is a great grace and something that is rewarding, but it's also challenging. And it has to, just like your marriage, be done relying on God's grace and trying to live um, in response to his grace. Uh, and and if through prayerful discernment somebody sees that the Lord is calling them to live their family life through adoption, there there absolutely will be grace to follow that decision. The, the Lord is going to bless that. But at the same time, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect. Just like any parenting, is not easy. It, it probably won't be easy, right? The external sort of history and human realities of that are always going to add challenge. There's just, there's not a way that someone can be removed from their birth family, even if it's at birth, and that not have a lasting impact. You're, you're walking into a situation that already has trauma inherently. Um, so it, it's not something that can be taken lightly or flippantly. It's a big deal. But with God's grace, it's certainly navigable. I mean, just like being a priest, just like being married is not easy and it's not fun all the time. It's still great and holy and, and a blessing if that's what God's calling you to. Detroit Stories is a production of Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find all episodes at DetroitCatholic.com or subscribe to Detroit Stories on Apple Podcasts Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts. This episode of Detroit Stories is brought to you by our friends at Alliance Catholic Credit Union. 
For over 60 years, Alliance Catholic Credit Union has provided Catholics in Michigan with trusted financial services inspired by Catholic values. When you join Alliance Catholic Credit Union, you become a member of a financial institution that supports Catholic education, Catholic charities, and Catholic parishes around the state. Visit AllianceCatholic.com and join online today.